The Fall of the House of Usher, Exit the Curse of Affair, and Twilight Imperium. This is staying in. Gentlemen, I've gathered you all here today. Uh-huh. And thank you for joining. Welcome to the Staying In Podcast. My name's Sam Turner. I'm here with my special guests, Chris Darby, Daniel Frost, Peter Willington. Special guests. You're welcome. And today we are gathered together to finally lift the curse of Peter Willington. Oh, finally. I've done some searching. Same. I've done some searching on Google. But most interestingly, I put how to lift into google i'll do it again here we go how to lift and and google comes back (laughs) with how to lift floorboards heavy objects weights (laughs) carpet and washing machine and then the last option is uh, how to reverse a curse so i've gone into WikiHow for mine chris where have you got your curse reversal um my reputable sources uh, include fortcatalog.com and thetravellingwitch.com all oh, right okay well i've i've gone straight to wikihow for for mine do do we need to we probably do need to explain the willington willington yes, curse don't we because yeah. if we need to expunge it completely we need to be mm. very clear about every single aspect of that curse yes. that has plagued peter willington so we can really get to the root of the problem mm. and its source mm. so basically what happens is I have a nice thought, which is, oh, wouldn't it be lovely to see my friends? Wouldn't it be absolutely darling if I were to be able to go and be amongst people I love and care for? And, you know, you all have the same idea as well. You go, let's organise something with that with, with that cracking lad, Peter Willington. And then we organise it and then everything's fine. Everything's fine. Except then, one week before travel, usually there's a little bit of a hint on some of your more reputable websites. You know, so WikiHow, maybe not. Uh, But, you know, talking about things like, oh, potential flood warning. Oh, potential freak snowstorm. Oh, Icelandic ejection of volcanoes uh, uh, matter. You know, those sorts of things. And we think, no, it won't happen again. There's no chance. There's no chance that some sort of freak weather event will interrupt uh, Mr. PW going to hang out with his pals. No. And then we get closer and closer to the event and it looks more and more likely. And then lo and behold, on the day of the event, I tra- end up traveling and either and basically usually getting stuck somewhere. Uh, that's, that's often, I mean, so for example, most recently, Munich, my luggage ended up in Germany and I ended up in the Netherlands. Uh, for example and that was due to bad weather the time before that there was uh, a a, a massive storm uh, that had red weather warnings absolutely everywhere the time before that similar sort of thing uh, but the water was frozen instead came down as two and a half feet of snow in like one day and so obviously I decided to come and hang out with with you lot up uh, you know up in your neck of the woods and uh, up north no, well, up in the Midlands. Oh, hang on, the Midlands. Manchester is the Midlands. It. Wow. Whoa. Manchester okay. is very much the Midlands. Manchester. Manchester folks are northern Midlands. Middle North. Middle North. The Middle North. Anyway, there, there is, there is one occasion recorded in history 
Yeah. And maybe this goes some ways to figuring out how we can break this curse mm. where you were able to meet up with with us and you were actually 15 minutes early. Right. Which is when you came to Aircon. Yes, of course. Yes, I remember now. So that, I, I just want to put that in the back of our minds to see if mm. there's something that we can recreate about that specific journey if if that goes some way to, to breaking the curse. That's, that, but that, that's the only outlier I can even think of yeah. in terms of when you've actually travelled well. I'm going to put my best scientists on it, Sam, and we'll, we'll figure, yeah. it, figure it out. Because lo and behold, if, if you're not living in the UK, we had something called Storm Babette. Yeah, and uh, and and I will say, you know, side serious, not not quite as funny. No, it was a very serious storm. Like, you know, yeah, he, very yeah. much so. So, but as per usual, it decided to time itself around me coming up and visiting you. We have some options. I might as well start with some wiki hows. I'll just say the titles of them and see if any of them capture yep. your imagination in terms of yep. how wiki how um, suggests we we lift this curse. So there's four options. Just the four. Uh, authored co-authored by daniela blinker ma mpa and um reviewed by steen steena garbis psychic astrologer ah, ah peer-reviewed excellent mm-hmm. so four methods taking a salt bath smudging your energy casting <laughs> a simple candle spell or making a mirror box i mean i love i i don't know what it is but i love the phrase smudging your energy I feel like I've I feel like I've done that before after um never mind. Let's let's move on from that sentence. Okay, well we can we can have a look at we can have a look over the brief steps for smudging your energy. Step one, sweep a selenite wand down and away from your body. A selenite wand? Yeah. Ah, okay. Need to get one of those. Ah, uh, because you've got a wand made of something else. Yeah. Yeah, no we're not a selenite <laughs> one. Uh then uh light a sage bundle, then use a feather to waft the smoke over you okay yeah i mean I'm, I'm, i'll tell you what i'm glad this was peer-reviewed because otherwise this just sounds like nonsense yeah go on what's the next uh, what's recite the next a cleansing spell or uh-huh. say a prayer and yep. um if you need a couple of examples of spells you could say earth fire water air be the answer to my prayer banish this curse and leave me pure tonight i claim a blessed cure oh um, hope you wrote that down yep oh, on, on that's it just um Is that three it? simple steps for smudging smudging your energy. energy well yeah i think i think my favorite one is probably the simple candle spell because you have to then bury the candle in the backyard and surround it with a ring of water and i thought that was quite interesting i mean the most <laughs> the most puzzling is making a mirror box where you have to in step four put a representation of the person who cursed you inside the box okay just a train yeah, <laughs> yeah it's just it's, Thomas it's, the Tank Engine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, it's like it'll be like it'll be like Henry or Gordon or whichever one it is that gets bricked up in the tunnel. It's Henry. It's Henry, isn't it? Oh, poor Henry. But yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll stuff Henry in a mirror box. Cool. And then just um, you know, finally, because it's Wiki House and people have put some answers at the bottom and stuff, some questions to be answered. Yeah. yeah. Can I use a white candle to break down the curse or darkness? White candles are of universal intent, so there's no problem using it for this situation. Uh, so you can't really use a Yankee candle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
Well, there was there was a reason why you all were coming to visit. And yes. I'm actually glad I'm actually glad that we've we got this chance to record so soon after visiting because I was saying to Pete like when you all left it felt really odd because it almost felt like you hadn't come to visit at all. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> we all got together on my behalf really mm-hmm. to finally play um Twilight Imperium. Dun dun dun. Wow. A game a game I think we all knew about, knew knew its reputation and decided we're gonna we're gonna do it. We're gonna do it anyway. We're gonna do it. So it was a it was a strange weekend because reflecting on it, you guys came up, we had a curry, we went to bed, we played a game for twelve hours, went to bed, woke up, and then you left. <laughs> and it was kind of like there was there was no sort of period where we were like, other than when we were having the curry, there was no period where we really felt like we were catching up. We were like talking about stuff, like going <laughs> going out and like doing stuff together. Like the game was such a dominant factor that I really don't feel like I really got to see any of, <laughs> any of you at all. It was just a really weird, almost virtual yet physical experience. Yeah. But I think that if, if I was to do that experience with anyone, Oh, it would yeah. have to be you lot, definitely. Yeah. I think mm. I feel oh, yeah. that I feel I've changed from that experience. I feel like we've actually I feel like we've had an adventure together mm. which has just been glorious. Like I didn't sleep after I left because I was still processing really? when when you, yeah, no, genuinely when you're staring at to be materialistic, it is cardboard and plastic, but for twelve hours it doesn't it isn't that. It means something else. Mm. And it it's just an extraordinary experience. I don't think I've ever experienced anything like that no i i think i'm yet to really really try and sort of compartmentalize exactly what happened during the day because for for me like and and i said this all to you as well you know i I was really really thankful that you all that you all came came to play play the game because for me it's been part of like it's been you know one of my bucket list things to do since i started getting into the hobby you know about five years ago or so playing that game has been a massive massive ambition and you know you know a combination of things finally made it happen you know we went to aircon and me and uh, pete entered into a 50 50 blood stakeholder agree yeah timeshare yeah timeshare for well it's not really timeshare he just basically pete just gave me 15 quid so i can keep it in my house <laughs> what can i say i'm an enabler <laughs> and and then since then, we've had a date in a diary for about four or five months. Mm-hmm. Yep. Tattoo play it. It's got its own WhatsApp group. We had its own WhatsApp group. But Sam, the question I want to ask you, obviously, like, I, I, I can't imagine what it must be like to a degree. I, I suppose the only thing I can think of is when, like, uh, Pete is planning meticulously or has written one of his RPGs mm-hmm. and has arranged for us to kind of test it with him and play it with him as a GM. Like, obviously, as you say, this has been in the diary for several months. I can imagine it must be quite worrying to think, oh gosh, I've bought this, I've invested in this game, I've I've corralled people to come and join me on this. Um, what if it's not any good? Like, do you yeah. think? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, do you think that like it lived up to what you hoped it would be? See, this is the thing. Like, I don't know. <laughs> like, I just don't. I... But you liked it. You liked the game. Oh, I, I absolutely loved it because I loved I, like, it. I loved but, that experience. I, I, but yeah, I can't put really put my finger on 
what the game does that's really different from a ton of other like really long euro style like experiences like that like i just think it i just think it probably is like one of the best blends of mechanics Mm. in a board game that i've ever experienced yep and i think one of the reasons why i'm kind of struggling to sort of really break down the experience is that i think that like we were all so invested in it from the off like i well for my own opinion like i was like reading the rules watching rules videos like for the week before every single night going going to sleep reading the rule book and then when we were playing it was a a brilliant experience but one of the reasons why it took us as long as it did was that you know we were always having to check the rule book and making sure that we were doing the right things and i think that even though it's a wonderful shared experience and Mm. i think the game is exceptional like i can't wait to play it again but it to feel more lived than mechanical if that makes sense like it did feel like we were kind of just taking sort of very tentative steps learning the ways learning the rules i can't wait to play it again when it just feels a bit more natural to play like we all know how we're playing we can relax a little bit like i was i was thinking the other day when i was driving to work like early on i was made the minister of commerce and Mm. i was like why didn't i use that why didn't i give that away to someone and use it to bribe them like why wasn't i like doing all these little things why wasn't i just like actually playing the game in a different way like it, it it was just incredible i think that every game has a rhythm to it like a particular rhythm and often that's predicated on the game you're playing but also the people you're playing with we went full in on this so we had a player count of six mm-hmm. i thought i'd make an effort you know being the join the galactic council so i did the whole session in a suit which is probably the longest i've ever been in a suit before i would say and there is a rhythm to this game that now I know it a little bit what you were saying, Sam, I think I'd, I'd get it a little bit more because this is a game where, to put it into context, a round lasted about an hour. And admittedly, yeah. that's because we were playing six players and we were newbies to it. Mm-hmm. And I found myself getting into quite an, this interesting dreamlike state because I didn't f- it didn't feel like 12 hours. When I got up at the, end of the, at the end of the session, oh yeah, I felt it in my body. But when you're playing... As you're saying, Dan, you're so fixated and focused on what it is you're doing that um, I found the biggest challenge was resisting the temptation to be impulsive because this game really benefits you taking your time, building up your reserves, um, starting from a a kind of a, a place of kind of strength and kind of moving outwards from that. Next time round, it'll be about getting that balance between Hmm. responding to the race i was playing at which were mine were kind of very fighty let's be honest uh plus one on all combat roles but that tempering that by the idea that i'm not i'm not a player who's just in a skirmish match going off picking fights i'm an actual entire empire yeah that i'm building here so i'm not just losing one ship on the board i'm losing a whole fleet this is a a good point for us to kind of talk a little bit about twilight imperium in terms of in terms of its kind of standing in the community, but also like what the game kind of is about, right? So hmm. the actual the actual core of the game is a semi-traditional war game. Uh, you know, like we talk about with War Boys and, and sometimes I talk about with miniatures games, you know, it is a combat game, right? And as you say, Chris, the, the scale of it is ga- like galaxy. So 
you are an in, you are a civilization that is figuring out how to dominate this galaxy um and so you're right like you are talking about it's really like fleet wide right like it's it's you know you're putting together these dreadnoughts for example and these ships that go with them and the ground forces and all that sort of stuff and it is a little bit of, i mean it's definitely abstracted out but but you're but everything is slow moving in the same way that stellaris is slow moving you know these are yeah. these are giant civilizations and you you can feel them mustering their strength and then sometimes you know uh, almost the momentum keeps itself going right like you, you know you have to enter into uh, 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 combat once you actually enter a, a disputed area but the actual mechanics of it and this is the thing that this is one of the things that i think is worth kind of flagging up mechanics are actually pretty easy right yeah like yeah like and 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 I want to pair this up with the 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 kind of legacy of Twilight Imperium, and that is that Twilight Imperium is definitely seen as a game that is super complicated, super long, super in, it, it, like taxing, and has a massive barrier to entry. And I think some of that stuff is partly correct, but I think a lot of that is overblown. Like, so for example, I've got the the BGG page up for this, and at the time of uh, us discussing it. The weight, i.e., the complexity of of Twilight Imperium Third Edition, which is the specific version that we played, and there are differences yeah. between the editions. We won't go into that because I, we're not smart enough to understand what those differences are really. Uh, the the weight is measured out of five, and this is a four point two six. To put that into comparison, supposedly stuff like uh, Oath uh, is yeah. is yeah. is slightly more complicated, uh, slightly less complicated, and so is something like Root. Um, so Twilight Imperium is seen as more complicated th- than those things, and I gotta say, like, I completely disagree. Like, yeah. you know, I've played Root, and that is a much more complicated game. In my eyes, that is more complicated. It's not, you know, mm-hmm. a billion miles away, but it's 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 more. I would say Twilight Imperium is is you know is is a more understandable game. Obviously, it has this long play time, and again, BGG says anything from 180 to 240 minutes. I think that is nonsense. Uh, you know the pros are playing it in in two to four hours uh we you know as you say we, we we took total effort 10 hours total time 12 hours right like yeah we've sat and played that thing for 10 hours and we had two one hour breaks like that is that is big yes there's complexity in there but it's not complicated and i no. think that's i think that that's a big difference and i think a lot of its mystique it's come from it's twilight imperium so therefore, that must be really complicated because Twilight Imperium is because Twilight Imperium is complicated. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy almost. It's really simple, you know. Like essentially, you have different chits of cardboard, and you essentially say, "I I want to put my energy essentially into one of three different areas, and that is either reacting to." Uh, the strategy phase so the game is made up of a strategy phase an action phase and a status phase status um and the strategy phase you essentially pick your superpower and everybody else in the game can also use a modified version of that superpower um and one of the pools of energy uh, that you put into is essentially can i do the secondary action on that strategy phase so do i react during during somebody else's um use of that another one is uh, another energy you can put into is 
fleet size. So you can have a certain size of fleet uh, of you know four dreadnoughts or three dreadnoughts or two dreadnoughts or however many it is that you put into that suit uh, in, in any one system, which is a hex on the map because everything's a big hex map. And then you have another one, which is essentially an energy that goes into actions, the number of specific things that you can do uh, within the game round, and that might involve things like, and these are really simple, like, um, okay, take one of these energy things, these little tokens, put them on the uh, 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 on the map, and you can move any ship that is within its movement range into that space as part of the action phase, and then it very simply says, cool, here is the little set of things that you need to remember to do during this, it's like, you know, action and 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 ground fire from other things and all that sort of stuff and there is mm -hmm. there are you know there's steps within there but at, but at the end of the at the end of the day you're just saying go here right yeah and, yeah and the the barrier to entry is it there i think it is quite high you know we watched and well i mean certainly i watched an hour and a half's worth of videos from um uh uh, uh ben uh, harsh ben harsh um harsh who, rules harsh rules you know like I think he he you know he does a very good, very beloved by us um, reading of the uh, reading of the rules and an explanation of the rules. I think that's a really good way to learn it. And he certainly seems to be the sort of person who gets those kinds of games. You know, he's just done a new series on Advanced Squad Leader, um, so he clearly likes you know fairly complicated games. So there's an hour and a half of that. I, I mean, I read the rules from front to back of the actual thing because Sam, you quite rightly said. I ain't teaching you all this. We're going to have to figure all this together, and you need to have read the rules yeah. beforehand because otherwise, you know, you were going to end up doing a ton of heavy lifting otherwise. And so, once you've got all that sort of stuff down, you realise that okay, well, you can move ships, and you can create new ships, and you can build defences for your areas, and all of these planets that you conquer have resources that generate over time. and And it's not super complicated. It's not like every planet is like okay, well, it's going to do three iron and two wood, and you know, one sheep. Um, you know, it's not going to do all of that sort of stuff. It's just like no, no, no. You get two resources, and yeah. the cost of making a fighter unit is one resource so you go okay well i've got this planet that generates two cool i can create two fighters right and yeah. uh, two sets of fighters and you know yeah there's more to it than that but but it's not it's not a million miles away from all those sorts of things but i think this is for me the cool thing about this is so the designer of it was christian t peterson and yeah. fantasy flight games published this back in the day and still publishes the fourth edition how long that will last who knows but this third edition is uh, was kind of an evolution of the second one uh, when Christian T. Peterson uh, created uh, Twilight Imperium. This was 1997. That's the first edition, and the game has evolved over time, and it's just it's it's generated this like reputation of being this like dream game that you that you wanna that you wanna go and play. And I must admit, I you know I don't I don't often know you know designers uh, in in the board game sphere, but. You know, looking into this person's history, they they have made some amazing games, like some properly brilliant games. Like, so for example, they did work on Call of Cthulhu. They did a um, they did a bunch of scenario stuff for the RPG. Uh, they worked on the Doom board game, which is extremely well regarded um, and is very difficult to get hold of now. Worked on the Game of Thrones war game. Worked on World of Warcraft, the board game, which is a which is again a very well respected uh, big kind of a game worked on disc wars worked on the starcraft board game like 
worked on a whole bunch of big sort of meta war games. And this is the one that they seem to consistently return to. And you can see that when you're playing it of a game that has stood the test of time since 1997. Like, yes, it's evolved. Yes, it's got bigger and and more complicated, you know, more complex, more complexity within within the system. But it's actually become smoother and easier to play. It looks like it's become, you know, all that sort of stuff. And you can see why people read the books, why they why why they made a source book for the Genesis system, uh, which is a tabletop role playing game uh, rule set. You can see why people love this stuff because it is a big sci fi opera war game backdrop to a game that if you're gonna spend ten to twelve hours with your mates playing it. You can't not have a reaction to it. You can't not either love it and go full force or hate it and never want to play it again. Like you, you come away with a reaction, right? Yeah. Qu- question I want to ask: as as both of you co-own this game, yeah. How often do you imagine you'll play it? Is this is this going to be an annual event for us, or do you think actually you could play it more often than that? I personally would. I, from from my side of things, like I like variety, so like I would more than happily play this every year, maybe every six months, maybe even three months, right? Like if I had the time, I would I, I would be well up for that. And again, I can totally see if you were at university or you were like in college mm. or or you were like you know fifteen years and up or whatever it is, and like you're into board games, I could totally see how you would spend long weekends during hol- holidays being like, oh, should we play that again? Yeah, let's go for it, right? And really, really enjoying this. I would love to check out the expansions. Like, I would love to check that out. Um, I'd love to see what the variety within the actual rulebook itself comes with. So, like, there are some variants, like The Long War, which is a longer version of the game. There is a, I think it's called something like Dangerous Planets or something like that. It's like um, when you conquer planets, there's also, like, an additional thing you have to do. Um, I'd love to play with yeah. some of those. Like, I don't think this is an every weekend thing, simply because I'm not in that place in my life. No. But, but, but like, but like, yeah. I mean, the amount of variety in here is nuts. Yeah, I, I, I'd, I'd like it to be a yearly thing. I'd, I'd absolutely love that. I'm, I'm in the middle now of trying to organise a time to play it with my my board game group that gets together every, every week. Because I know that they will, they will love it also. And I'm and I'm desperate to to play it again. And and for me, I just the thing that I loved about it most was just the time it took and how like in most board games that I that I play now. And you know, uh, it it always feels like if you get something wrong in the first turn, you you're done. <laughs> yeah, like sure. it almost feels like every single board game relies on you to be perfect and to maximize everything out of every single turn and i think what i enjoyed about twilight imperium most is that because every turn was so glacial and and it felt genuinely like each turn amongst the table represented about 300 years in the game it really felt like there was room for correction of errors and there was room for changes and deliberation and and one of the things you're saying that you know you're saying glacial and like i I just want to make it really clear to people like that is not a you know there, there's a lot of no. in in modern society there's a lot of like fast 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 no 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 this is this is slow and it's yeah. good because of that like a lot yes. of it comes from that right like want to make that really clear like yeah it's slow but like so is like 
meditation or going for a mm -hmm. walk or you know those sorts of things and those are all things that you would think of as you know in some way desirable or good right yeah i think just a couple of things uh, for me to kind of wrap up a little bit i think that the one thing that our game definitely missed very early on was a, a clear sort of set of objectives and i think this is something that has been maybe improved maybe not improved upon depending on your opinion on twilight imperium 4 which i think starts immediately with some objectives in terms of here is some scoring criteria and for the first couple of rounds of our game there was no scoring objectives on the board at all so we were we could basically unless you were picking up a, a specific strategy card you could score no victory points so i think that that lent itself to making the game feel a little bit uh, pensive at the beginning because everyone was kind of feeling their way and no one had a very clear sense of well this is just something i can do because this will give me at least i'll get a victory point out of this whereas i feel like we kind of just like were left to our own devices for the first couple of turns and that's fine and i enjoyed that but there were the, the, the lack of structure i think did did harm the game ever so slightly but yeah the the my main big takeaway has been the the, the pace of it and how I think it is just so expertly paced and I was reminded at one point of three body problem actually the, the second book in the series so not to um, a minor spoiler here for um, the dark forest but there there is a section on it where earth are expecting an armada an invasion and um, uh, they're expecting an armada an invasion and it probably takes my memory of the novel is a bit fuzzy but it probably takes like about a thousand years for this armada yeah to to arrive and it is absolutely thrilling and uh xi Xing lu manages to make it you know uh, an exceptionally tense chase albeit one of the slowest <laughs> chases um in sci-fi history but there but there was a moment when we were playing ti that reminded me of that very much where basically i played an action card which said pick a pick a system mm -hmm. in that system your fleet supply is plus two and i picked a system which currently had nothing in it except lots of fleets but lots of ships belonging to peter willington hi and that action card i had to use um a whole turn to play so what that meant was it was going to be another whole turn before it then came round to me being able to do anything in that system and it was just it was just wonderful to see that same thing that i'd read in mm. one of my favorite sci-fi series of all time play out on the board in twilight imperium where pete knew unless it was a big faint spoilers it wasn't <laughs> um, pete knew that i was going to be invading his system at that time and all he had all he could do was wait and just watch from yeah. the distance like this fleet just slowly arriving oh, and gathering on his borders it and it was just absolutely like infuriating magnificent but, yeah. but can i just say a little bit of my defense yes i know we i often say about myself i'm a bad loser i think that it wasn't yeah. that it wasn't that for this game for me for me i was so frustrated myself that i wasn't living the free body problem i was living <laughs> i don't know buck rogers or something like that and i yeah, felt because i know we're really going to play yeah. ironically because i know we're not going to play this for another year's time i feel like i've 
I'm haunted by the fact that I didn't make the most of the opportunity to really relish and live that experience because, mm-hmm. you know, and I think it, for me, the biggest sell for this game is the fact that I had on paper what looked to be a miserable time of scoring one victory point every three and a half hours. But actually <laughs> it was a really exhilarating process. It genuinely was such an enjoyable experience and it felt like a genuine treat as well. And I also think our hero of the hour, Daniel Frost, who brought Peter Willington here and got him back home safely. Yes. Mm. I think we've awoken in Dan a secret Euro gamer. Yeah, absolutely. Genuinely. Well, statistically, and we analysed this before we played the game, statistically, Dan is the best player out of all of us. Yeah. Which is comes first or second majority of the time. Which is amazing. When you only expose yourself on very limited occasions to games, then that the beginner's luck hey. remains forever. Hey, you know... If you're if you're the world champion, you don't take on all comers all the time, do you? You, you pick you pick and choose your battles. Yeah, absolutely. I think I just the only thing I'd say would be, um, and I'm aware that I've for technical reasons not talked a lot during this conversation. But what I would say is that like if anyone who is listening and is still kind of unsure, is still a bit kind of put off or intimidated by the length or the size or all that stuff. Like literally, like I don't play games really. I like the last time I, I generally, genuinely, the times that I play games, except for perhaps the exit games. Other than those, the only times I play board games is when I come up to you guys, and that's usually like once a year. So that's I don't play games, and yet, yeah, I had to do some research, as we all did. People like Sam, you play them on like a daily basis, and you still had to do a load of research. I had to do the research to kind of understand it ahead of time just so we could I could make as much of the experience as I could but I really did enjoy that situation and if you're with a group of people who are all on board and are all committed to wanting to kind of get through this long game I think like doesn't matter kind of if you're if you're worried about it don't be it is absolutely more accessible than kind of people might have you think and it's it's a it's a great fun here's another set of instructions so once you've done this you've built your mirror box all that sort of thing Um, take yourself to a natural source of water like a river lake or ocean and get in so it's Bristol Bristol yeah yeah, Bristol Bristol, lots of water dip in but get in the the river so this comes from thetravellingwitch.com burn a bay leaf at dawn and again at sunset so it's two instances so what what, hold on hold on hold on hold on hold on so is is he in the water from dawn till sunset burning bay leaves i i I, th- I think it basically means you just stay in the water for the whole day i've got stuff to so do hunker he's got so a wetsuit. hunker down hunker down allow the smoke to waft over you and when the leaves have finished smoldering scatter them in the wind use selenite to cleanse your energy field and oh. break the hold that the curse has on you yeah then once you've got out of the river, and I know you, you, your fingers have all pruned up, go home and take a, take a bath with Epsom salt and hex-breaking herbs. So that is bay leaves, fennel, jasmine, and nettles are all the common choices. <laughs> I, love, oh. I love that he's essentially stewing himself. Yeah, I've got, like a I've rabbit. Got, yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, uh, less nettles. I've got to be honest. I've got, I've got to be honest. All these cures for curses all sounds like they've been created by big selenite. <laughs> and Mich- big selenite with Michelle Rue Jr. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, and lastly, Pete, clean your house with water infused with hex-breaking herbs. So mop the floors, clean the walls, wash the doors and windows. And <laughs> when you're finished, the throw the mop water out of the back door. Oh, that, that's oh. what you've been doing wrong. God. There you go. Well, you know what? I will, I will definitely consider doing those things uh, next time I decide to, to come up and visit. Yeah. I mean, seriously, Pete, I'm getting married next year and I'm wondering if it's going to be easy for me to move the whole wedding to Bristol. Yeah, I True. mean... If you could, that would be, that would that there's, would do. There's a solid. stag and a wedding he's got to travel for, so. <laughs> <laughs> Unless I do everything at aircon. <laughs> yeah. Very recently, I've been playing a game that I think we'd all enjoy. Well, I certainly enjoyed. I think you folks will enjoy as well. Um, so I've been playing a new exit game. Well, a relatively new, new to me anyway, exit game. And that is called uh, Exit the Curse of Ophir. Another curse. Okay. Another curse. So quite, you know, quite on the money here, I would say. You know, these are obviously from your friends of mine over at Cosmos. They usually put the Exit games out. Uh, this one is actually from a publisher called USM. Oh, so what? Hold on. Is this, is this a video game? This is a video game. What? So, what? There is a there is a video. There are two exit video games, and the one that I've been playing is The Curse of Ophir. There is another one as well. Not played that yet. I'd like to. I'll probably get that on the old Steam Deck. I've got a Steam Deck. Did I tell you that? Um, <laughs> and sad, yeah, and um, so I was playing this one. This is available on a bunch of different devices. Um, you can play, get it on Steam. You can get it on iOS. Uh, I played this on Android. And, you know, we've talked a lot about uh, the Exit games in the past. I think we're big fans of that series. Yeah. And basically that, that, that series of tabletop games is a small box, very small box, that you open it up and it is a one-shot, you know, puzzle mystery, sometimes around a murder mystery, usually around something slightly strange is going on. And you use the box uh, and the contents of the box to figure out your way through a collection of, of, of brain teasers that are... Uh, it's kind of like an escape room in the box. Is kind of the way that they're, you know, um, the way that they're marketed. So, okay, how do you turn that into a video game? Well, obviously, you make it a mist-esque uh, point-and-click adventure escape room, uh, and that's exactly what Nementic Games have done. It, this one came out. Uh, Curse of Ophir came out in 2022, uh, middle of last year, and. Basically, the idea is that it's the classic setup of an exit game. Uh, you've been, uh, you go to a, a hotel, and nobody is around, and there is a, a mm. strange phenomenon happening in the in the in the sky, and then suddenly you are trapped there, and there is a mystery uh, about this hotel of fear. I won't go too much into the story. It's quite a lightweight story, uh, and I think it's it's. But it's the same level of complexity as something like the other Exit tabletop games. So there's something to keep you there, but a lot of it is obviously just MacGuffins to kind of keep you going. And, oh, it feels a little bit mysterious. But the thing that I was frankly shocked at is how good this is. Uh, so if you've played... So again, I think we've talked about this one before. Um, the Room... Oh, the yes, room? I've played all of them. Yeah. They're mm. great. Yeah, me too. I've played all... I've played... 
four out of the five. I think the only one I've not played is the VR version, and not for one of trying. I'd love to play the VR one. Yeah, I, I do have it. I've, n- I've never played it though. I haven't the, got around to playing it. Oh, Dan! Oh, Dan, there. Damn. Ja- Next time you're in, you're gonna have a great. Put a goggle time. on each. Yeah, oh, you're gonna have a great time. <laughs> and um, uh, I think the original is is super cheap, super good looking game. Yeah, it's 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 amazing. Um, so they kind of play a little bit like that. You know, you are. You, you're playing this thing in first person you f- find that you are in a room and then you have to put items together in the way that you remember you had to do that in things like Mist and Secret of Monkey Island and uh, you know uh, uh, Zach McCracken and the alien mindbenders you know all that sort of stuff um, and classics. the classics and so you're, you're doing those things but there are it is also a bit more of a puzzle so if you remember back in the day you'd play like browser games over on things like the big fish portal yeah the crimson or, rooms one yeah, i think of exactly like that kind of not horrible certainly not horrible looking graphics but like pretty straightforward and i would say i think generics like too strong a term but like just nice, just nice visuals, just well put together. And so in The Curse of Ophir, you'll time travel, you'll see a bunch of different rooms in a bunch of different states. And so you've got like some slightly art deco areas and then you've got a more modern area. And it's all very, it's all very nice. It's not, this. It, it's slightly stylistic. It's got a slightly hand-drawn style to the whole thing. Um, it's got voiceover from uh, uh, like on large chunks of the game. And... It's great. Like it just it it's one it's one of those titles that it's perfect for the platforms that it's on, basically. It's one of those things of it's a perfect car game or a long journey game, right? It's like this thing's only gonna take you two or three hours to beat it, right? And it's got a, a decent, well implemented hint system so that if you spend too long on a puzzle and you really don't know what it is that you can do, you can always just figure out it'll it'll tell you what the answer is. But crucially, as one of these kinds of experiences, everything makes logical sense. And if you do have to skip some of the puzzles, and I will admit I skipped two of them because I just was like, I have no idea what, what's required here. I don't know how to get through this. I kicked myself when I hit that skip button. I was like, oh, of course mm-hmm. it is. And that was the moment when I hit, when I, when I hit that first skip of, oh, of course it is. That moment is the same moments I have with the tabletop versions of Exit when yeah. you have to do something that is really thinking laterally. And then one of the other cool things about this game is it does something that I really like in games, that a game like, if, if you remember it, a game called Another, uh, Another Code, I think it was called, on DS and, and Wii, where you take the hardware and use the hardware in uh, to be a part of some of the puzzles again like the exit games do so That's one of the things really yeah so like with the exit tabletop games everything within the box and the box itself are often part of the puzzles that you need to solve and that is the same with this video game as well so uh you know, won't give any of that sort of stuff away, but you can start to see how, if you're playing on a mobile device, you might have to do certain things with the mobile device to answer some of the puzzles. And some of them are very clever. Some of them are very clever uh, 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 things. It only happens two or three times in the, the entirety of the game, 
but it's nice and it's a nice callback to that. And it, like I say, I'm just genuinely surprised at how much effort was put into this thing. It is legit good. Pete, I want to know, I'm quite curious, are you playing this by yourself? Because what I find yeah. is I tend to play those sorts of games, the video versions of these sorts of escape room games as a solitary kind of experience. Yep. And I think in part that's predicated on the fact that it's a lot easier just to have one person around like my mobile phone if I'm playing one on my mobile phone. Whereas the Cosmos Exit game, say for example, I could never really play one of those by myself, I don't think. Right. Uh, there's something about that, that that element of social interaction, of problem solving as a group. And they're designed for people to kind of to to kind of go off into small groups and focus on a part of a problem. And I was just I was just curious really, because is, is there a world in which you could envisage this being a shared experience yeah, totally. given the fact that you'll only play it once? Yeah, totally. Like apart from the fact that yeah, I'll only ever play this once. Yes, I could totally see what's it called, Cozy Lives, all that sort of stuff, hunkering down with a, you know, with a with a tablet that you've got already, because this thing runs like a dream. You know, I've I've got a fairly old Android phone at this point, like it runs like an absolute dream on on that thing. But like hunkering down with like an old tablet that you've got, and you know, you know, like scooching up with a blanket on the couch together, holding the tablet between you and trying to figure it out together. Yeah, I could totally see somebody doing that. But I think. I think for me, it scratches that itch of playing it solo because you can play those tabletop games solo. It's just you're right; it feels a bit soulless, right? Like it feels a bit like feels a bit like oh, I'm sort of wasting this one off, right? Whereas this is the no, you know what? I I'm you know I'm gonna play this. I'm gonna I you deserve it. I I, des it's I your deserve day. this, and you know, and and it made me go and look into a bunch of other games and stuff. Like that. And maybe I'll go and pick up some of these later on down the line. I, I certainly want to try the other um, exit game because you know I was very very impressed with Curse of a Fear. But you know, I found out that game that we all know and love, Sherlock Holmes Consultant Detective. There were video game versions, like, and it is mm -hmm. it is that game. Like, if you don't have people around, you just play the video game version with full acting and all that sort of stuff, right? Like. Well, I'd heartily recommend uh, Curse of the Golden Idol. Oh, so yes. If that's, there you go. Yeah, yeah. If if this is the route that you're that you're yeah exploring, and especially and especially on the Steam Deck, I don't know if you've got one of those. Have you got? Yeah, I've, uh, Steam yeah, yeah. Deck? I didn't. Did I not tell you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Curse of the Golden Idol. Um, I played that on my Steam Deck, and that is it's a really really lovely experience on that. I was a guest. On episode 20 of the Smashing Bricks podcast, which is a podcast about retro yeah. games. It's hosted by a lovely person uh, called Eddie, uh, who I've known for a very long time. And uh, uh, it, it was a lovely opportunity to get to play uh, one of my favorite games ever from my childhood called New Ghostbusters 2. Uh, for the NES, it's a game, if you're not aware of it, it's a game that was made by Satoru Iwata when he was at HAL Laboratory. Oh, wow. This is the person oh, wow. who... Yeah, like, it, yeah, and it's probably the least, one of the least known of uh, Iwata's games. Uh, and I played it when I was a child, and I finally, this year, finished it. Uh, is I finally completed that game and I did it as part we of... We thought Twilight Imperium was long. Oh, no. mate, yeah, exactly. If you want to hear me talking... Uh, about that stuff go and check out uh, the smashing bricks podcast it's over on all the i mean basically wherever you listen to this it's on there uh, i'm on episode 20 and go and say hello to eddie and go and listen to the other backlog as well because it's there's some really good stuff in there i think i just need to i think i need to get myself some selenite 
and <laughs> it's a shame your birthday's just gone to be I know, honest, yeah it? no well next next year chris well, christmas is just around the corner so that's true a lovely christmas a lovely selenite and, and, and a, if, and a if, bag of herbs and if big selenite are listening this podcast yeah. is available for advertising um <laughs> We would just make you a bath bomb of nettles, sage, jasmine. Yeah. What's that thing they called? What's what's that thing that's a big bag of herbs that they put in stews and things? What's that called? Uh, bouquet garnier. Yeah. yeah, that's it. Get in one of those. Yeah. That'd be a lot cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> Why not just chuck in some Bisto gravy granules as well? <laughs> Did we all have a happy Halloween? Oh, the happiest. I I would say I'm never happier than at Halloween. Oh, I know, Pete, you've already spoken in the past that you have a particular love for this time of year. Not, I'm not necessarily Halloween specifically, but the autumnal period. I love, I love autumn. I'm like a... I'm like a... Go on. <laughs> I'm like, like, a, like a leaf to the ground? Like a... Squirrel in his nuts. Is, is this because you were cursed on Hallow's Eve? I mean, it probably was that. <laughs> that is why, yeah, I am cursed to uh, mess up my travel and enjoy nothing but pumpkin okay. spice lattes. Can, can, I, can I talk about a new horror TV series that you and Dan can what, read the plot of on Wikipedia? I would love to hear about that. Bring it. So this comes from Mike Flanagan, who is my go-to horror director. I spoke about Midnight Mass back in episode 137 at the pod. And this is his swan song for his contract with Netflix. And he's produced and directed and, and written um, a lot of um, a, a series of kind of horror Netflix shows. So there was The Haunting of Hill House, which is one of my favorite television series of all time. The Haunting of Bly Manor, which was OK. Uh, Midnight Mass, which is his own original uh, narrative. And then there's this one, The Fall of the House of Usher, Ooh. which is, as the name um, implies, is set within, so it's inspired by uh, the stories of Edgar Allan Poe. So in this case, The Fall so of the House of the Usher. So not the hip-hop artist? No. Um, <laughs> I mean, that book, that was written in 1839, show. ever so slightly before Usher. Genuinely, when I saw you were talking about this, I thought there was a documentary like on Netflix about like Usher's career right. or something. <laughs> well, Dan, you need to go and read um, some Poe um, because like there's some incredible short stories, very, very evocative. This isn't like a retelling of that. What Flanagan has done is he's taken that title, he's spun his own modern day story, but he drops into it motifs and character names that you'll find in lots of Poe's stories. So in episode one, there's a lingering shot of a raven, for example. And the premise is this. Oh, I love this. I'm only halfway through the series. It's eight episodes, but we're me and my partner are trying to make them last as long as possible because they're just so good. <laughs> in 0.5 speed. Yep, exactly. <laughs> 16 episodes long it is, in fact. No, it's eight. After all six of his adult children die in two weeks, Roderick Usher, uh, the elderly yeah. CEO yeah. of a corrupt pharmaceutical company, sits in his crumbling childhood home and confesses his crimes to an assistant state attorney. He says that it's his fault that his children are ill, are all dead, but he is clearly haunted by something. And this is already a really, really interesting, typical Flanagan kind of horror where a lot of it is told through flashbacks. 
So you know that these six children, who I should say are adults, will die. You don't know how and you don't know by who, but you know at some point they will. Cool. So it's it's kind of like a beautifully plotted and beautifully scripted story where we get interweaving Roderick's present confession, going back to his early life, breaking into the pharmaceutical industry, as well as the lives of his children. Mm. And and I should say that these are not all nice people at all. He's essentially a crime lord. This is a crime family that run a pharmaceutical business. So you're in this really interesting dynamic where the family really have to cling together to survive. And they've just gone for a difficult court case and there's rumours running wild that one of them is going to inform on them to Mm. the state attorney. So it's all about how they have got their own mystery that they're trying to work out who is the the person who is going to kind of like dob them in That's cool. to the government. But at the same time, they're kind of being killed off in a kind of macabre way. So in terms of like the, the children, you've got Freddie, who's the hopeless eldest, whose wife is bored of him. Um, the entrepreneurial Tamerlane, who pays women to impersonate her while she watches them eat dinner with her husband. You have surgeon Vicky pressured into faking successful drug trials on animals. Leo, played by Bolt Guns Rahul Kohli, Ooh. owner of a gaming, who is owner of a gaming company. I like to think that Kohli probably had something to say about what kind of role his character would have. <laughs> There's Camille, who's head of PR, who is diabolical. Like when her, when the first of the children die, her youngest stepbrother, she does not grieve. She literally thinks, okay, how can we use this? to give us positive PR as a family. And she has this incredible monologue where she just rattles off all these things they can do to get the most hits, to go to the right people, where they come out on top as a family in this court case. It is diabolical. And they are horrible people, and they're supported by Roderick's sister, who is the ruthless Madeline, and their attorney, Arthur Pym, is played by Mark Hamill, who's incredible in this. Absolutely incredible. So you're in this uncomfortable position because like you kind of want these people to get their comeuppance because they're horrible. You kind of it's kind of deliciously macabre to watch this family fall from on high. But at that same time, they die in really, really horrific ways. <laughs> and like, oh God, um, that's a bit that's quite grim. Um and also as well, even though it's all happening in the past primarily, you think you're safe. No, because Roderick in the presence occasionally will get haunted by his children and it's that classic Flanagan thing where Flanagan has cultivated this career of creating horror which doesn't resort to shock and jump scares hmm. but in some respects it's worse because like in The Haunting of Hill House in The Haunting of Hill House it's brilliant because in pretty much the background of every shot there is a ghost but because they're in soft focus it's kind of like you blink and you'll miss them and you know it'll be a part of a ghost you'll just see oh, hang on there's an arm there who's that belong to and you get that to a degree here Roderick will just suddenly look up and behind the attorney has stood one of his children. But they're out of shot. They're completely blurred. And you just know they're there and then they'll cut back and that blurred image in the background's gone. So you're always slightly on your toes, even if you know, kind of know the fates of these six children. And it reminds me of this of this idea that, you know, that Jack Derrida talks about this idea that ghosts are created when you've got a minority or a group of people that have been pushed to the side and oppressed, you'll make a ghost out of them. So what has happened here is this corrupt family running this corrupt pharmaceutical business who have cut corners, they've bribed, they've killed to to stay on top. They've created ghosts out of this 
and these ghosts are coming back to haunt them. Mm. And I think that is really, really interesting because I think long after the horror and the macabre of this, what's going to stay with me is this divine justice, I suppose, that has been kind of enacted here on this family. I did win, like, as, as kind of ahead of the podcast and stuff, I, I did look at the trailer for this. I was like, oh, I'm always looking for kind of new shows and stuff. And often, like, on this, on the podcast, like, one of you have mentioned a show and that's been the next thing I've watched. And I'm coming to the end of some kind of, there's a couple of shows I'm watching at the moment that I'm coming to the end of. So I was like, I needed something new. So I watched the trailer for this, not really knowing much of what it was. And it's <laughs> not my cup of tea. <laughs> so, but what I would ask is kind of, obviously like we've talked at length and like pete's kind of with me as well i don't like i don't like being scared i don't like that sensation of fear i don't like it when uh, a film or a tv show the aim is to scare you not i don't mean like jump scares like you the really cheap rubbish scares like the worst ones aren't the jump mm. the, the worst ones are the kind of the slow burning ju- scares because that kind of gets under your skin and bleh. so that's just not something i'm a fan of and i think that's fine so when I watched this, I was kind of like, no, it's not my cup of tea. What I want to know is, because obviously the, the trailer itself was quite gory. Not not kind of gratuitous, but there, there obviously was elements of body horror and kind of quite gothic uh, kind of representations of quite dark things. Like, is is that kind of just been shown for the trailer or is that kind of an ongoing thing? Or that is that used throughout mm. or is that kind of moments that kind of come into it i'm trying to get how, how what is the trailer selling is it selling the true version of itself or is it perhaps leaning into the more kind of kind of body horror shark element yeah so yeah so there are elements of gore in this i would say that it, it is it's in moments because it, it knows how to earn those moments because it they have to be moments because if they're not moments you become too desensitized to it right and as a consequence it's not shocking at all really when they occur so yeah obviously the trailer is going to be kind of like a mega mix of those kinds of moments um because it is the spooky season but i think it it, it, it's not like hill house because hill house in the sense is a ghost story first and foremost it's a family who are trying to work out what happened to their mother all these years ago in this house this house And, and it is just a wonderful story that this this feels almost like a I mean, yes, there's there's ghosts there, but it's not in that kind of traditional kind of spooky sense. This isn't taking place in a haunted house somewhere that's isolated and removed. This is happening now in a city, in a populous urban area, where the only person apparently who can see these ghosts is Roderick Usher, the ghost of his children. And he's cracked, essentially. And he sat there confessing and almost feel like he's sparing himself from the gore. He can't think about it so we're actually we're kind of living what he's remembering really and and i think i don't think it's i don't think it's if you don't like gore you're not going to like this at all because it is present i would say and i would say also when we think of gore we often think of the visual one thing that really becomes patently aware to me when watching the fall of the house of the usher is actually the sound of gore is far worse um like (laughs) And I've never really noticed that before. The sound design in this is extraordinary. And so I'm not going to really talk about anything of gory in detail if listeners are having their dinner or something. Mm -hmm. But like, yeah, I don't think it is a frost-friendly show. Um, It does get to, for me, it gets to something of that M.R. James thing of a pleasing terror. Yeah. Yeah. But the pleasure, I think, is watching these people get their comeuppance. Uh, Pete? Yes, mate. 
just as a little backup um I've, i'm just i'm again i'm drawing from the website fortcatalog.com so they say that if you if spells don't work in the traditional sense okay if yeah go on they, they've got they've got what they call step four <laughs> colon brute force so this is like when it's just not going anywhere okay if you've got a really stubborn curse yeah that just you just can't get out of that stain Right, so you're going to need the following. So I hope you've got a paper and pen nearby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm definitely making notes need, on all this. Yeah, for sure. You're going to need air drying clay. Yep. <laughs> now, this one's important. Water charged with the sun's energies, preferably at noon. A, sl- a slip of paper and a pen. So red ink is preferable. A slip of Blood. paper. Now, when they say red ink, yeah. we all know yeah. what they actually want yeah. you to be. Uh, a bay leaf. Always oh, bay leaves. What, why the bay leaf? I don't bay know, leaves? man. A black candle. Uh, All right. A fire safe container. But well, always be safe yeah. when exercising curses. Yeah. A tool for writing in clay. And lastly, a hammer. So, okay, the spell <laughs> must be performed at night. <laughs> Brute force. And most effective if performed during the new or waning moon. Mm. So cleanse yourself and your workspace thoroughly and anoint yourself with solar water. Your workspace. Solar water. <laughs> See that? So that new standing desk you got. So you light the candle, write down on your slip of paper all the effects that the curse has had on you. When you have everything written down, fold the bay leaf into the paper, set it on fire and allow it to burn completely to ashes in the fire safe container. When the ashes are finished smouldering, set them aside. Take a small portion of clay, so enough to create a talisman that you will be able to easily carry around and anoint it with a drop of solar water. Mix the ashes into the clay thoroughly, roll the clay into a ball and flatten it into a disc. Be sure not to make it too thin. On one side, inscribe the words, no more befouled, again unbound, again unbidden. On the other side, inscribe a symbol to represent the curse. What would that be, Pete? Just Thomas's face? Yeah, just a picture of just a picture of Thomas winking at me. Okay, close your ritual space, blow out the candle, and let the talisman dry according to the directions provided. Right. When the talisman is completely dry, take it outside early one morning and allow it to sit in the sun until noon. The talisman is now finished. Carry it with you everywhere you go and it'll absorb the energy from the curse, preventing it from affecting you. Oh. oh, that's nice. That's nice. I'll get right on it. <laughs> uh, so, if, listener, if you've got any better, I suppose, <laughs> methods for Pete to break yeah. this curse, it might be perhaps taking an earlier train. Yeah, because I had to drive a really long way. I don't want to have to do that again. No. Yeah, or if you've got any solar water. Yeah, that's true. Or selenite. Or selenite, yeah. That's, that's a true. Or, or, or bay leaves. Yeah, bay leaves ra- selenite bay leaves. wrapped in bay leaves. Yeah, we just need to get him past Gloucester. Once we can do that, we he's home free. Yeah, if we could just do that, then just let us know. Just get in touch. Um, Stayinginpod at gmail.com. If you want to see some pictures from the Twilight Imperium day, then you can do that. Those are on our Instagram feed at stayinginpod. You can, if you scroll back long enough on the uh, Instagram feed, you can also see the moment that that game was purchased oh, at Aircon. Glorious day. So you can get the whole, the whole, the whole history of a purchase to play uh, on our Instagram channel. Um, we're on, we're, uh, we're on other social media feeds, all at Staying in Pod, but really Instagram is where it's at. I don't know if we'll be sharing this with the wider world, but as part of our Twilight Imperium Day, we did actually make a curated playlist um, of, of things to listen yeah. to whilst we we played the game. Um, send us an email if you want me to share it, and I'll send it to you. But while we may not be sharing that, um, Chris is always up for sharing his playlists that he makes for the podcast for things that we mention on the show. So something from the fall of the House of 
the fall of the house of usher oh, yeah. going on there it's or just some usher the fall of house of usher or maybe usher might do both actually thanks dan for reminding me of that fact um the newton brothers do a fantastic score for it yeah no definitely and thank you to adamski who commented on twitter he'd been he'd also enjoyed the camomile playlist as well brilliant fantastic it is a superb and surprising playlist if you want to get information of where those spotify playlists are then the best place to go is the show notes because finding stuff on spotify isn't a pleasant experience i think that's is that everything i think that's it are we safe to leave the house well we are pete's the one having to burn herbs in every room of his house with solar water and selenite better get them up in your walls pete (laughs) (laughs) that'll do